Welcome back to the Next Iteration Podcast. Today's guest is Liam Redmond. Liam helps drive growth at ClearBank, a Toronto-based company that's changing the way that venture capital operates. He's got a wide variety of interests, including expertise in all things outbound marketing, coffee, deadlifting, and nutrition. We'll talk through the career path that led him from Ireland to Toronto and finally ClearBank, and he even agreed to tear apart our cold messaging abilities live on the podcast. Hint, they're not that good, but hopefully they'll get better. This was a f- super fun convo, and we know you guys will derive a lot of benefit from it, so enjoy. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get started. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Happy, happy to be here. Yeah, so Liam, it's, uh, I mean, I was going through your profile a little earlier today, and I see that you're a, a quotes guy. And like, I love that because I'm a big quotes guy too. I'm a big fan of nice, succinct, juicy quotes. Yeah. And the one that you have kind of plastered on there, and I guess this is kind of like the ethos that you live by. Yeah. Um, the quote I know is, the quote that you're going to say as well. I know that it's on my LinkedIn, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. And uh, yeah. it's a quote from Fight Club. So what does that quote mean to you? Why, why is it so impactful? Um, it's, it's a great question. And honestly, like I've, I've had people interpret that in a number of different ways. And a common interpretation is like I've honestly had like some people be like whoa that's like so fucking morbid what the hell (laughs) but like honestly I view it as like totally the opposite I view it as like a huge like in like kind of motivation like a huge like inspiring kind of quote um and a lot of it is like just around like urgency and being intentional and and shit like that um I think like so many people uh, we could probably get into like similar themes, but like in startups, sales, growth, fitness, whatever, it's just like, um, you know, like life is long, but like, we're, we're also like not really around for a super long time, you know, like mm-hmm. the years that you're like really in your prime, you could spend like five years, like fucking around and like not really making any progress towards anything if you're not very intentional, but Absolutely. if you're living every day, like, and like, there's like obviously an extreme end to that as well. You don't want to be like counting every 15 minutes of your life in an Excel spreadsheet and not, (laughs) not spending any time doing things that are not productive, but like uh, living with intention and having a, some level of urgency, I think is super important. And it's, it's honestly helped me a lot in like countless ways. Are you, uh, are you stoic at all? Like, do you follow stoicism? Yeah, yeah, I've been into stoicism. Uh, I, I think I came across Tim Ferriss when I was maybe like, like 18 Tim or 19. Ferris. Yeah, Tim Ferriss, the, yeah. the GOAT, the OG. The goat. Um, so <laughs> I was lucky to come across Four Hour Work Week when I was like, honestly, pretty soon after it came out, I was still in like high school. Um, or like, it's honestly like, I'm betraying my European heritage, even saying high school, <laughs> but I'm trying to translate for the listening audience here. Um. And then once I got into four hour work week, like, uh, I don't know if you know, but Tim Ferriss produces a lot of like Brian Holiday's work. And like yeah. he produced like uh, the Tower of Seneca on Audible. And I've just been like into stoicism for like quite a quite a while, as long as I like found Tim Ferriss. Love that. Yeah, because the awesome. the quote really re- um, reminds me of and like Fwad and I have talked about stoicism in the podcast before, but it reminds me of the stoic tenet of Memento Mori which is uh, remember yeah. your death, right? And like you said, like it sounds super morbid to a lot of people, but it's really about like bringing life back to the present, like making the most of um, every day. And if I can just share another quote that I heard of recently that reminds me of this as well, um, it's by Confucius. And he said, you have two lives. And the second one begins when you realize that you only have one. Yeah. And it's kind of like in that same vein. Right. But I love that, like bringing yourself back to reclaiming your own life, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. There's like another really good one. Again, that's kind of similar. Uh, again, in the same like vein as like stoicism. It's from uh, uh, Meditations, Marcus Aurelius. 
and it's like uh live every minute and i'm gonna like get the exact quote like wrong but paraphrasing live every minute with the focus of a roman or like the discipline of a roman or something like that um and it's like uh that's like a super again impactful book really like great read on stoicism but just like philosophy in general but like again fucking thousands of years ago they were like yo live with intention like have a clear plan and like move with urgency like know what you're doing um and it was as relevant then as it is now yeah meditations is probably like my favorite stoic work just because it's so interesting how it's literally just a daily journal like he didn't write it to be compiled into like a series of books or like you know he didn't write it for like a huge audience he wrote it for himself and he wrote it for you know the people around him and like that's just so meaningful that like I don't know that he he was so he had so much forethought you know every day and and so much discipline in in writing that um so i love that you mentioned that works one of my favorite works um cool speaking of tim ferris i don't know if you've read uh the four hour body as well as yeah. the four hour work week uh yeah so do you do grapefruit juice and coffee in the mornings i i don't do the grapefruit juice but uh i for sure do uh i do coffee in the mornings i fast um I don't necessarily do like slow carb like he talks a- about in the book, but yeah. I do kind of do like an adapted version of carnivore. Um, okay. I eat steak more or less every day and have done for like quite a long time. Um, nice. That's the life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is. It is the life. It's not for the the luxury reasons, although that's like <laughs> steak obviously tastes great. There's actually a lot of very practical reasons why I just eat steak outside of just like it tastes good. But like one it cooks really fast. So it's convenient and it's great if you're busy Two, mm-hmm. you can get steaks that are big enough that actually like fill you that you don't need like a side dish or anything. Like mm-hmm. I eat like pound, like strip loins and pound ribeyes and stuff like that. And like red meat with a lot of fat is like filling as hell. So you just mm-hmm. like, you know, I like having like fries as well. If I like have the time or whatever, but I can just eat a big steak and like not need other shit. Um, mm-hmm. And then it does just also taste great. There is that. But I also just like energy levels, energy wise, I feel like super Mm -hmm. energized all the time. Just like eating uh, red meat all the time. Um, And the only kind of like things that I do that are like different from like a true carnivore, like I run a lot and exercise a lot. So if I feel Mm -hmm. like super drained, I will like have carbs around like workouts and if I just feel like I need them, I will. I'm not like mm-hmm. a strict no carb guy. Uh, I drink greens powder. Uh, like I feel like noticeably different if I don't. Um, and then I'm also in the last like three to six months getting super into kombucha. And that nice. just like oh, makes okay. me digest Robotics. things way better. Yeah, like yeah. honestly, like that's one of those like things that I thought were like, I thought it was like dumb millennial juice. But then <laughs> it's like, you you drink it for a while and then you're like, fuck, I just like never feel like congested my digestion feels good all of these kind of things then you're like mm-hmm. yeah when you start getting a little bit older you start noticing these things with your body <laughs> yeah. and you're just like fuck it also tastes good as well so there is that for sure i so. started taking like probiotics recently just like pill form and like i don't know like maybe i'm getting old too i'm only 22 but i feel like I'm a lot <laughs> older because <laughs> it's been helping me a lot i didn't realize how bad it was until i started doing the probiotics and now i Dude. can't imagine a life without them i know yeah. i'm like I'm 26 and I'm saying like, oh, you know, like I'm getting old now, dude. Yeah. Like, what if you're like fucking 50 and you're like actually old, and then it's like you <laughs> still eat like shit. Like, imagine yeah. how bad they feel. Like, because like, I honestly feel like super sensitive to like things now in terms of like what I eat, what I, how I feel and stuff that I didn't like five years ago. Now I notice yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah the absolutely. crazy thing. I mean, if you look at Warren Buffett, for example, right? He eats like is- shit. He's he like eats McDonald's like every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's just mad old. But I guess like, again, like going, all right, this lends itself to the notion that you really got to keep your stress levels down. Focus yeah. on yourself because I guess in that instance, you can, uh, I don't know if you can really afford to do it. Like, I feel like he's just an exception to the rule. Yeah. But yeah, important question for you because this is a, a hot topic of debate, I guess. What's the proper way to eat a steak? Or the proper way to eat a steak. Okay, so there is only one right way. It's for it's for yeah, it's for sure not well done. It's somewhere between like I mean, I personally like medium rare, probably a bit closer to rare. Medium is acceptable. Like 
blue kind of rare shit like as in like if the thing's like barely warm that's like not my vibe either but definitely like medium rare on the side of rare uh usually cooked in like grass-fed butter is kind of my thing uh mm. t- fucking tons of pink himalayan sea salt any other way you're just fucking wasting your time okay thank god if you if i mean if you led the answer with there's only one real right way to to eat it and then if if you said well done i don't know it would have been a hard rest of the conversation <laughs> no we wouldn't have released the podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> like like honestly if you like if you like your steak well done just stop listening just turn it off now just like don't bother <laughs> no elitism but there's yeah. no hope for you <laughs> fuck, fuck the stoicism the motivation the fitness it's like you're just done like turn this off oh yeah. man uh, on yeah. that note, what's your favorite coffee and how do you brew it? So again, there is only one right answer to this. Uh, oh. you oh, you sound surprised. Uh, <laughs> so you you want to be having uh, like a strong V60 with single origin Ethiopian beans, like first thing in the morning. V60. I'm a Chemex guy, but uh, you know, it could be convinced. Chemex. Chemex is also acceptable. If I'm brewing <laughs> for a larger party, I would accept Chemex. AeroPress is also the OG. Uh, I yeah. got onto AeroPress before I had a V60. I like V60 because it's just like, I don't know, it just tastes better to me now. But I was on V6 or AeroPress for my first like four or five years of my like coffee life. Mm-hmm. Um, and how so, does, uh, go ahead. Yeah, how does, uh, just kind of on the note of coffee still, like how do you tie coffee back into your obsession with, op- with um, optimization? Like how do you weaponize? coffee for yourself okay so there is a great book that explains caffeine timing perfectly it's only a small chapter within a book and it's called uh hold on i fucking have it here beside me it's uh make time by jake knapp and john zaratsky they're two guys Mm -hmm. that like they were big like product engineers at google uh and then they like they built gmail and youtube and then like went on to work at google ventures but they talk a lot about like fasting and optimization and like lifestyle design, the perfect day and stuff in that book. And like, honestly, if you have ever been in a state where you're fasted, you have a well-prioritized schedule and you have a lot of caffeine right before doing like a focused work block, like block time off, no distractions, noise canceling headphones, no slack, no phone, no notifications. Like that is like a, uh, like, out of body level of focus mm-hmm. um and that you want to be timing your caffeine around that i like caffeine uh usually first thing in the morning and then usually like three and a half to four and a half hours after that as a second cup um and i try not to have a third occasionally i if i really need to on some days i will um mm-hmm. but i found like cutting coffee off before 12 in the day is big so that you fall asleep um when i was a bit younger and worked in like a part-time job and stuff i used to have coffee much later in the day Mm -hmm. uh that's not good if you have your like two strong cups of coffee before 12 like you've done more work than most people do in two days before like noon (laughs) and that's that's honestly a fact yeah i've uh there was some research actually released on this because a lot of people equate you know like drinking coffee or at least that association with coffee and focus and i think the studies have shown that it doesn't necessarily help you build focus but it does help you sustain it once you've established it um, yeah yeah so definitely it's definitely a powerful tool to help with um with your workflow and i yeah. guess like finding that flow state too yeah awesome uh so next question um you know this part of your linkedin bio is like super super funny too so we want to ask um, you grew up in Ireland, um, yeah. and you know, the nod to the grass fed butter and curry bogle butter. I, I definitely see that. Um, but yeah. how did you, how did you end up in Toronto and walk us through that journey? Yeah, it's a good question. And, um, I've answered it the same way on actually quite a few podcasts right now. Cause there actually is again, only one correct, true answer to this. Uh, <laughs> if you go on my LinkedIn bio, you'll see that I used to work at a large, much, much larger corporate type company. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I worked there as my first job out of college. I did like big data analytics for like, uh, like looking at the equivalent of like Loblaws and shit in Ireland, looking at how like 
uh, sales promotions, marketing activity was affecting like retail sales promotions, volumes, shit like that. Yeah. Um, and it was like a good job right out of college. It taught me a lot of like good skills, especially in terms of data analytics, like data analytics and like just even my approach to problem solving. And also kind of gave me a small path into like SQL, but, um, working at a big corporate company sucks for me. Anyway, it did at that company. It was like, I would go in and everyone else. And again, I had this is my one biased lens or experience. Everyone else there was 10 years older than me. They were there to like punch a clock, get in, get out. They were not mm-hmm. working super hard and no one really cared. As long as you were getting the bare minimum done, how much you got done. So mm-hmm. if you're a young, motivated, energetic, productivity driven person in that environment you suffer like i would honestly do like my work for the whole day in two hours and i would just be there for the rest of the day um and i worked there from like october in whatever year 2017 until uh june in 2018 and in march i remember googling when i had decided in my head because like there's a point when you start working right after university that you're just getting paid that you're just like, this is great. Like there is no more to life. I'm getting paid now. (laughs) (laughs) And then like all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually that's another thing. European people are blessed. They have nowhere near the level of student debt that people have over here. It's actually insane. I should be happy about um, that, but I'm not, I'm really bad about that. (laughs) Yeah, you should. But, um, Yeah, dude, I just remember six months in after I decided that I was like, okay, this isn't for me. Where's the fastest growing tech city in the world right now? And that's how I decided. It was Toronto and the Google search result. And then I was like, okay, it's done. This is, this is, there was no more contemplation at that moment I decided. Wow. That's a, that's an incredible story. Like I, I remember I just accepted an offer in San Francisco and like, I remember deciding between San Francisco and New York. And that was like one of the most stressful like things in my life. And like, you literally did it with a Google search. Like, that's amazing. I really, you made the right choice though, from your New York versus San Francisco. The reason I didn't choose San Francisco was, and this is like, honestly, it shows like it's another character trait. Uh, The visa for Canada was like 150 euros. The visa for San Francisco was like 3000. And I was like, oh, eh. I was like, it's kind of the same. I was like, it's close <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another really cool thing about that story is um, this kind of ties into something we've discussed on the podcast before as well. Right. But this is kind of a, a framework that we've talked about and how you can live out your life and how you can make choices when you're, when you're at a junction. But I love how, uh, what's the word for it it's almost like movie like the way you made that choice right it's and um the the framework is if there was like a documentary crew following you around right now right and they were documenting your young life you're going to be like you're in the future you're just this crazy um uh personality you've reached insane success what choice can you make in this moment to tell a more interesting, to tell a more compelling story. And the choice to move to, to Toronto from a quick Google search like that is just so crazy. And I love that. It, like, do you, do you make other choices like this? Like, is it like a flip of the coin kind of thing or like you're leaving you know, everything to fate? Yeah. It's, it's actually funny because uh, my, my old roommate, who's actually like my best friend over here, he would tell you that I'm the exact opposite. As in like, really? I will I will decide to move across the world on a Google search and I will spend 45 minutes deciding what to order off Uber Eats. That is no <laughs> joke. Maybe even longer sometimes. Like I'll go on like Yelp reviews. I'll start looking at their Google wow. reviews. I'll oh, go man. deep and I'll just be like, is this the best Pad Thai or is this one? <laughs> and then it's like, honestly, uh, I really like struggle making crazy dumb decisions that don't matter. Like sometimes if I'm like mm-hmm. bored and hungover or whatever on a weekend, but then mm-hmm. for like actually making like real decisions that matter, I think there's a couple of good things to keep in mind. And there's mm-hmm. two really good books that I've read on this. Um, one is thinking in bets by Annie Duke. And the yeah. second one is actually like 
a more applied practical workbook by her as well. Um, it's called How to Decide. And then there's a couple of other things like Thinking Fast and Slow is a great book that everyone should read in terms of like just figuring out how to decide things well. Um, I just bought like, that for Hisham, actually. Dude, it's like... Uh, he definitely uh, needs to read it. <laughs> I don't know why like that's not on university and college curriculum because it would have been 10x more valuable than everything that I studied at university mm-hmm. um because like learning how to decide and evaluate decisions is like the most important skill that you will have in no matter what you decide to do it's like the most important thing mm-hmm. yeah on that note any other like book recommendations because it seems like you're pretty well read yeah I mean it depends like what people want to learn but like Books that I think are useful for everyone that I've read. Uh, everyone should read Never Split the Difference, whether you're going to work in sales or not by Chris mm-hmm. Voss. Uh, everyone should read Thinking and Best that I just mentioned by Annie Duke. Um, Derek Sivers has a great book called Anything You Want. Um, it's really, really small. You can read it in like literally like an hour, maybe. Um, it's called like Anything You Want, 40 Lessons for an Entrepreneur. Uh, I just finished a book pretty recently called algorithms to live by and that's just based on like kind of uh, computer algorithms for like how it applies to like different decision making biases and shit like that mm-hmm. um influence the psychology of persuasion by robert cialdini everyone should mm-hmm. read that whether you're going to work in sales or not um and then i mean that's already a, a decent amount of reading but the art of war by stephen pressfield is super important Elements of Style is another really short but old book. Um, then we could get more niche, just depending on the subcategory. But like, we'll go lightning round because I've already named a ton already. Yeah. Um, How to Lie with Statistics. That's really good. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of a paradoxical title. Um, the Netflix book, No Rules Rules, is actually a really good book on company culture. Uh, Loon Shots is another really good book. Mm-hmm. Um what else that's probably a ton the book on uh pixar as a company i can't remember the name but it's by like edward something i think it's called creativity inc that's a really good book it's not like that's more of a story but it is like based on like entrepreneurial shit um and the last one that i'll finish on is a hard thing about hard things by ben horowitz Mm, hard thing if you if you read all of those honestly like if you spend a year reading all of those you'll you'll be like 10x more intelligent than you were before. Damn, that's a that's a really great race. So we'll, we'll make sure to like link that in the description of the episode. I've read like, I think three of these. I've read Never Split the Difference, Algorithm Slim By, uh, and How to Lie with Statistics. Those are amazing books. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the others. What are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading Barack Obama's book, A Promised Land. Oh, nice. And I'd, I'd imagine reading... that's good. It's good, but it, it does get a little bit, a little bit, I don't know, pedantic. Like he explains a lot of a lot of the decisions behind the policy. And you know, if you're not super interested in the nitty-gritty of politics, like some of it is a little bit useless. Like the book is like 700 pages and it's his first term only, which is you know pretty oh, large. Wow. <laughs> uh, but I'm also reading uh Good Economics for Hard Times right now, um, by Abhijit Banerjee and Paul Grugman, who are both Nobel Nobel Prize winning economists. And I highly, yeah. highly recommend that. Basically, what they do is they break apart um like common economic misconceptions, like migration, for example. And they have a whole chapter on migration and they explain like why migration has been like weaponized into like a political tool, but yeah. the economics behind migration are unanimous, right? Like 99% of economists in the World Economic Forum agree on how to do migration properly, right? And so why is it a political issue in the first place? And then um, things like tax cuts for the rich, like do those work, do those not work? And why are they, you know, why is the rhetoric around them uh, a certain way um and so I, I highly highly recommend that yeah another good book if you're into like questioning how like like economics works and kind of more like macro level is that uh, donut economics by kate raworth uh oh, i read that God. a couple of years ago when like i'm like not into economics really to be honest with you i just read this like the name caught my attention i like donuts and like occasionally <laughs> like economics um and that's like it really just looks at things like um like are we like living economically like within the bounds of the planetary limits like it like ask questions like that um and some other things that kind of like you mentioned there like 
immigration and tax cuts and this and that it's it's a really good book have you and it's, um, it's pretty far outside my normal reading as well go ahead yeah have you read any of uh, Nassim Taleb's books yeah I listened to I don't know if you count audiobooks as well but yeah. I listened to Anti-Fragile and I thought that was great I actually listened to it around like right before COVID like happened mm-hmm. last year so good oh. timing yeah, that's actually fantastic timing. Uh, I'm yeah. about to jump into the Black Swan, and I've heard so many good things about his books. Um, yeah. He is a character. He is a character. Yeah, but... he's controversial. Uh, but I, yeah. I like divisive people who kind of have conviction in what they're saying. Like him. Absolutely. And like he, he's just a really smart guy. And he, I think like people like that are very divisive just because like they're smart. So the things they say, they, it carries weight. So it's not like they're just talking to their ass. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just want to jump into, uh, so we talked about your journey from Ireland over here to Toronto, and uh, now you're working at ClearBank as a growth manager. So how, how's that experience been? Like ClearBank is a really innovative company. They're doing a lot of cool things, the largest e-commerce investor in the world right now. How's, been, how's being a growth manager at such a, an innovative company? Yeah, honestly, it's, uh, it's a trip, man. It's a ride. Um, you know, this kind of like adage where people are like, uh, if you get offered a sheet, uh, a seat on a rocket ship, don't worry about which one it is like, do that. Like that yeah. is like true. Um, mm. I, I, I really like fell into it. I didn't have a job description when I joined ClearBank. I'm not actually sure I still do. I'd have to go back <laughs> and check, but like it has been, uh, it has leveled me up more in a year than like four years of university and that's like the god's honest truth if you want like a an mba on how to get shit done just join a a fast-growing startup that has a product market fit and a great team so tell us more about kind of like what your day-to-day is for those interested in like growth and like what 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 are what is the majority of things you do there um yeah so in terms of like growth i think growth means a lot of different things at a lot of different companies Uh, I actually get like a lot of inbound questions on LinkedIn asking me stuff about like paid marketing. And I I don't know anything about paid marketing aside from like just being tangentially like kind of around it, whatever. But uh, growth for what I actually do at ClearBank, it's everything related to outbound. And like outbound, I didn't know what it meant, like whatever, two and a half years ago before I got into sales. But it's like when you're reaching out to somebody as opposed to like business coming to you inbound. Um, so that's an important distinction to make for anyone who like doesn't know that. Um, mm-hmm. And like what my job really involves is like looking for ways to optimize that function at, at ClearBank. Um, and like I run my own uh, like agency, like outside of ClearBank where I do the same thing for like other companies. Um, and outbound is like, outbound is really interesting. It's kind of a, an intersection between copywriting, psychology, uh, sales kind of as a skill, uh, persuasion. It's like really, it's like pretty multifaceted. Um, And like one thing that we haven't really mentioned at all is like copywriting or just learning to write well is one of the most valuable skills that, again, you don't really learn at university. You learn like academic writing, which is like completely fucking useless the moment you finish university uh learning to write properly especially now that we're remote is like a huge part of my job and everyone else's job like Mm -hmm. copywriting is so different when you're maximizing for conversion or you're trying to communicate a message internally or anything like that um so copywriting is a big part of my job but then like the day-to-day honestly it's a lot of like big like spreadsheet work kind of doing weird shit in excel to kind of patch data together i do like some back-end kind of salesforce kind of shit now um like i do some web scraping i do some automation stuff i do a little bit of python but i'm for sure not a developer um it's it's honestly a ton of different things to be honest with you man it's pretty pretty broad pretty diverse but like the goal is just like increase revenue and like mm-hmm at every company you should be building something or selling something at a core level um and i stole that from someone but like yeah you should be like (laughs) building something to make more revenue or directly making more revenue or like what are you doing 
Mm-hmm. We'll steal that from you then. because uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, cool. So you mentioned copywriting. Um, I feel like yeah. Damon and I have kind of, you know, I'm an engineer and Damon's still in, uh, in, in his, doing his master's, but, uh, we've come across copywriting a lot with this podcast, you know, with calls, reaching out to people, a lot of outbound for sure. Uh, reaching out to guests and things like that. So being a master of sales, can you give us a super quick rundown on crafting the perfect cold email? Yeah. So cold email, funny enough, it's so many, like, it's way more about what you don't do. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of counterintuitive, but like you could focus on just not doing a bunch of stuff and you would write a great cold email. Don't make it about yourself. Don't think they care what you're trying to sell them. Don't think they understand your product. Don't think they care about you hitting quota. Don't think that they have any need for what you're selling. If you really think for like when you're approaching someone for a cold email, if you're trying to get them to appear on a podcast, if you're trying to sell them something, if you're trying to book a meeting, think about it from their perspective. How do I make this appealing and incentivizing for them? Um, So like in a cold email, this could be leading with starting the email with their company name, as opposed to saying, I hope you are doing well. Like every email that I receive now, that's like, I hope you are doing well. You just wasted the most important piece of real estate in your entire email. Good luck. You lost that. Right. Um, like make it about them. And another thing is like, regardless of like what you're selling. And like, if you think about how you reached out to me to be on this podcast, whatever, you're still like selling something, you know, because like I'm giving you my time right now. Time is the most, you know, based on the quote I had on my LinkedIn, you can obviously tell that, you know, I'm pretty, pretty restrictive with like where I give my time. Um, but like, actually just thought like the way you reached out was like pretty good. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, I actually started with hope this message finds you all. So, you know, not that good, not that good. (laughs) No, no. As in like, in terms of like maximizing for conversion for outbound. Yeah. You missed some points there, but I felt like even if we want to do like a mini critique, um, let's actually go through it. Yeah, loving the content you've been pushing recently. I love it. I've definitely taken some tips from the posts. So this is good. Starting with flattery, whether it's genuine or not, is a good way. Um, And like Cialdini talks about this a lot and influence the psychology of persuasion is like, there's like basically six different characteristics or core things that persuasive messaging breaks down into. And the anagram is like R-C-L-A-S-S. And the L in there is liking. If you say something to flatter someone, they're more likely to like you. And you're also doing them kind of a, a favor by complimenting something that they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And that makes them more likely to reciprocate that favor. So like you say something nice about them, they're more likely to hop on a call. Um, now, looking at the rest of your message, wanted to message to see if you'd be interested in appearing as a guest on my podcast. We're currently doing a huge rebrand for right now. and would love to hear both your thoughts on it as well as your general advice for growth marketing. Um, honestly, that's not like super appealing to me. Uh, nothing in that message is like really like grabbing me. Um, there is the like interested in appearing as a guest on my podcast. I would probably try and reframe that as in like what's in it for them. And to be fair, you do that a little bit in your next paragraph. We have listeners between 17 and 25, including some potential founders. So I think they derive a lot of value from hearing your thoughts on growth marketing and learning about your experiences as a founder. That's like kind of a get, it's what's in it for them. You're still not really selling it on what's in it for me here. Um, Maybe Mm. if I was trying to sell to this demographic, that would be useful. And potentially like if there are potential founders that, you know, end up needing help with outbound, I'm sure this would be a great way to pitch them. Honestly, I'm, I'm not even like trying to like sell them on anything here, but um, <laughs> let me know if you're open. It It would only be an hour out of your schedule. You can find more info on the podcast here. Um, I didn't check the link. Um, I think you'd been like following me for a while, to be honest. I think we've been connected for a while. So yeah. I was just like, oh, whatever. I'm going to give, give this guy the time of day. Like he seems like a, a nice guy. I think you had messaged me before. Um, 
about like thinking my posts were thought provoking or something like that. So like, again, there's, this wasn't completely cold. So, Mm -hmm. but I mean, like your third paragraph saying, explaining the demographic, that is a little bit like what's in it for them. If I was actually trying to appeal to that audience. Okay. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Good critique. I love being roasted live. So that was uh <laughs> that was an experience. But no, I definitely agree. I think, yeah, I I like I can see how I frame that message in terms I have it open like on my own the monitor. But yeah, yeah, I can see how I yeah. Yeah, I can see how I frame the message more so in terms of like what we get out of it with you rather than what you get out of it. Like how you could market yourself, how you could market out optimize outbound, you know, like uh what you'd get out of like having this group of listeners like listen to your content, right? So yeah yeah and like that's not to say that like you're going about it completely the wrong way but if i was to flip that and maximize the conversion in terms of like a true like commercial sales capacity yeah you would try and say like you would try to include some level of social proof like say oh we've had x y and z guests on the podcast before to like add some authority and social proof there another thing you could do is like um really talk about like the outcomes of like appearing on this podcast like you do talk about like uh we've got listeners from 17 to 25 so the only thing you could add to really make that more appealing these are potential founders so if your agency was looking to sell to this demographic it could be interesting to appeal to them if you added Mm -hmm. that small little bit but like again i think mm, you're you're kind of not coming at it completely cold so take this with a grain of salt but yeah i think it was you know I just like talking to people who are going to do a podcast though, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you're an excellent conversationalist. Um, So do you think we should double down on the social proof then? Cause um, like what we've also been doing more recently with some of those uh, messages is, you know, throwing out some numbers. So um, we recently broke the top 5% of podcasts globally. So I've been throwing that in there. Um, Yeah. More social proof with like, yeah, we've had X, Y guest on. Um, and just trying to keep it as brief as possible. Cause again, like yeah. nobody wants to read a long ass message, right? Yeah. Brevity being concise, super important for calls outbound. And when you're trying to sell anything, uh, every extra word that you're adding that actually isn't like increasing the coherence or clarity of the message you're trying to convey. It's just mm-hmm. an extra cost and cognitive load on the prospect or person you're reaching out to. And if it really doesn't add value or in- increase the clarity, just omit unnecessary words. That's like, uh, there's this book that I think I mentioned, Elements of Style, and it's written in like 18 something. And it's like uh, the COO or president of Shopify, Harley Finkelstein mentioned it on Tim Ferriss's podcast. That's why mm-hmm. I read it. And he was like, this is probably the best substitute you can get for going to law school. And my main takeaway from that book was like, omit unnecessary words. And then- mm do it again and omit unnecessary words. And I don't know if you've ever come across this app, this desktop app called Hemingway app.com, but basically you just put like text into it and it will highlight all of the sentences that are too long and highlight all of the words that you should get rid of. And in terms of optimizing outbound messaging for conversion, just cutting out extra fluff that people don't care about is a great way to do that. Do you, uh, do you know Scott Adams? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if you've ever read it, but he has this fantastic piece on the Dilbert blog. I think it's called The Day You Became a Better Writer. Yeah. Um, and it's like a, again, like super short piece, but it's a tiny little masterclass on business writing. Yeah. Um, and like, it's the exact same message you're saying. And it's the same thing with the Hemingway editor is cut out as much as possible. Like, just don't use bigger words if you don't have to. So even yeah. though like, like you're being like a lot of people tend to do that, right? They'll whip out the thesaurus. Um, they'll, they'll decorate the writing with fluffy words, but it doesn't add anything to the writing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's something I definitely had to work on. Cause I loved my thesaurus. Like I, I slept yeah. with that thing and like my teachers <laughs> in elementary school liked it, but then growing up it's, it was diminishing returns. You know what it is? It's an ego thing. People love to think that their writing is great and love to think that they're writing important. And I'm no better than anyone. I'll start writing these big, long, audacious things that like nobody fucking cares about that. It's just losing people's attention. If you cut out all of that unnecessary shit, you just get like people respond more. You get because like it's just you're asking for their time, even to send someone a long message. You're just asking Mm -hmm. for their time to commit more. If you make it really simple to say yes or no, cut out all of the fluff. 
Like mm-hmm. it's just like way better. Um, and I think Stephen King actually, again, I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's like to paraphrase. And it's, I think it's from on writing. And it's like, if I had more time, I would have made this quote smaller or made this book smaller or something like, and mm. it's just that like, he's obviously like one of considered the better writers like in the world. And his like core takeaway is like, if I had more time, I would have made this shorter. And he's just mm-hmm. saying, I would have edited more of it out. Um, and ironically, if he had more time, not if he had less, people think if you write less, you're putting in like less effort, but really you're just clarifying your thought even more. And mm-hmm. a clear writer is a clear thinker. Yeah, there's been one of the biggest takeaways. Um, I just wanted to share a quick tip I took from uh, Justin Wynn, actually, um, from the Declassified uh, College podcast. And I don't know if you do this, Liam, but uh, he has a really powerful tip for uh, cold emails, which is to put an email tracker onto it. So you can see if people are actually like opening your emails or not. And if people are are opening your emails and not replying, it's a good subject line with bad content. If they're not opening it at all, then it's just a bad subject line. So I think it's a really powerful tool to help uh, people really uh, get better at writing these cold emails as well. Yeah, yeah. Once you start moving into like enterprise and doing this as like a startup or like commercially, kind of like email tracking software is kind of like table stakes and standard. Uh, You start like tracking things like open rates, you know, like re- reply rates, like engagement rates, number of opens, you get like pretty niche and nuanced. But yeah, it's, it's really just like a, a funnel or constraints. If you have super high opens, but no replies, your body sucks. If you yeah. have neither, both suck. Um, and then it's like somewhere in between. Like one thing I've noticed is that like people will agonize over finding the perfect subject line. It's like optimizing and tweaking like this one extra thing. Like I've used a subject line for like one of my clients um, or like one of my even former clients in my own agency. And we were getting like 90, 95% open rates with a specific subject line. And what it is actually isn't important. Um, and he was like, oh, I think we should change it to do this to increase the opens. And I'm like, like, this is not the constraint in this, in this funnel. This is not mm-hmm. the bottleneck. If anything, we should focus on the body. And like, some people just don't, I've come to realize now, some people don't think in terms of like where in this system is breaking down. Some people view it as the whole thing and they can't delineate what's affecting what. Um, and mm-hmm. if you can't delineate cause and effect like that, you're way behind. Um, but some people just don't see things like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. As a software engineer, like I relate to that so much because like fixing an app is literally like just fixing a funnel, like going through each step and figuring out where something is broken. You can't fix an app by looking at the output and being like, oh, it's broken. Like I just need to rewrite the entire thing. Cause that's going to take you like 10 years and like 70 engineers. Right. So yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely relate to that a lot. Um, cool. Thank you for, thank you for going over that. I think we, we took a lot of tips from that and, you know, hopefully next guest will, will apply those, will apply those tips. Um, and you've given us some credibility with you, gracing us with your presence. So, you know, we're definitely <laughs> going to milk, milk that as much as we can. Um, anyways, uh, shifting the conversation a little bit. I know that you're also pretty into fitness and as Sean told me to ask, how much do you deadlift? Um, do, do you want me to share my screen for a second? We can like talk through this and like, yes, you can, narr- yes, you can narrate for the audience. So, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like this will be funny. Um, actually showed this to people at my my last company on like one of the like first days that I was there and dude if you show people you deadlifting a lot again it just buys like a ton of credibility <laughs> hold on let me find it here this is saying um, dominance yeah yeah and uh people will look at you differently after that I, yeah. um, oh, okay so uh okay we're going here. over instagram oh, yeah boy. um so this is, I don't know, in pounds, 245 oh, Let me do the conversion kilos. real quick. I think it's like five something. Holy shit. 540. Holy fuck. Holy. 540 so, minus 90 is four. That was when I used to lift. Divided by 90 for plates. That's five plates. Wow. Okay that's that's pretty insane i've my max has been a four plate deadlift and i passed out after i hit that so (laughs) i don't know if it really counts (laughs) i was pretty close to passing out on a similarly weighted squat if i can find this here 
Uh, I know it was quite a while. Oh yeah, here's where I almost died squatting, and like for real, it was tough. This was four and a half plates. Oh man. Yeah, who's obviously one? some asshole just walks in front of the uh, camera. But anyway, camera. yeah, the this worst. was honestly like tough, dude. I failed this once before doing this, and you can see it. Like that wasn't easy. The deadlift yeah. was pretty smooth. That was tough. Wait, I oh, gotta ask man. now. Now seeing these numbers, how much do you weigh? Um, at that time, um, I was probably like, or I used to like be around eighty-two and a half, eighty-three kg at that point that I was lifting most of the time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm about 180. Yeah. Now I'm significantly lighter. I'm like 170. I've been like running as kind of my main uh focus since the start of COVID because there's just like no gyms. Yeah, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Actually, gyms, the gym in Hamilton just opened up today. So going for my first workout in like four months tomorrow, and I'm so scared. I've lost like 15 pounds as well. And yeah, shout out, out to Hamilton. Shout yeah. out to Hamilton for, for you know, <laughs> biting the bullet and just letting people lift again. <laughs> I mean, hopefully it'll be all right, but I don't want to buy any bullets or get any, uh, any viruses. So hopefully we'll be all right. But uh, on that note, how has fitness helped you like kind of build discipline uh, and helped you in your professional life as well? Yeah. So like getting into fitness is like a multi-pronged benefit for a number of reasons. So the first thing is, uh, anyone who lifts and makes a significant amount of progress, you understand the value of progressive overload and just like compounding effort over time. So like it's going back to the books, everyone just go read atomic habits. Like now pause this podcast and go read that book. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's like the whole thing is like you do small things. It compounds over time. You get 1% better every day at the end of the year, you're like 35, 36 X better or whatever it is. Um, well, yeah, it's like if you're trying to deadlift and you're like, okay, my max is like 140 kg right now. I want to deadlift five plates. Uh, I'm going to add, you know, two and a half pounds to each side every week until I can't do it anymore. And if you do that every single week for four years, suddenly you're like, I mean, there was a point where I was pulling like 220 kg for reps. And there was wow. a, a point before that where I was like, I couldn't lift 140 kg for one. And the only thing that changed in between was just like small, tiny incremental benefits and repetition over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, And like how that's carried over to like my professional career is like, if you can, uh, I'm not going to bother sharing my screen again, but like I have another video where on my 21st birthday, I deadlifted 140 kg 21 times just because I was like, oh, I'm 21. So I'm going to do this for 21 reps. (laughs) And I've done a bunch of dumb shit like that, but like (laughs) really, if if you get good at grinding it, I like in exercise, you can apply that same will and discipline to anything. Like I just mentioned, like getting into running since like COVID has started, I've ran like a sub 140 half marathon and I'm not a runner. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, if you learn this, like one skill of like grit again, grit is another great book by Angela Duckworth. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, dude, you can be the dumbest motherfucker. You can be the fattest motherfucker. You can be like, honestly, like so bad at everything. If you have grit, you will be better than most people in time. And that's like the God's honest truth. Um, and like, I actually like funny enough, I, uh, attribute a lot of my grit to being a big world of Warcraft gamer when I was like between the age of 10 and 15. Yeah. I had hundreds of hours in slash played if anyone, if you know, you know, uh, and I yeah. mean like, as in like, I was a sponsored gamer at one point, I used to get paid to play world of Warcraft. Um, but like, it's the same thing. If you get good at grinding in that, you can apply that to fitness. If you can get good at that, you can apply that to sales. If you get good at that, you can apply that to startups doing this running. It, it doesn't matter. It's the same skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you keep doing that, eventually you evolve into David Goggins, or so. Eventually, that's the goal, yeah. man. That's the goal. Yeah. Again, the another evolution. great book. Can't yeah. hurt me. Yeah, great. Crazy book. guy. Um, yeah. So, Liam, thank you so much. You provided us a shit ton of value, and you brought you know this is like your fifteenth Zoom call today or something, but <laughs> this you brought the energy. I love it. So we can't let you go until we ask our favorite final question, and we usually cap our interviews off with this question. But 
if there was a billboard that would reach millions of people and you were tasked with putting a message on that billboard, what would it say? This is the Tim Ferriss question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think it would, uh, not to like copyright Nike, but it would be like, just do it. Mm -hmm. And like, that's kind of like cheesy and it's not like very profound or stoic, but like one thing I've noticed that separates like good from great is people that do. There's a lot of people who talk about doing shit. There's way less people that do it. And if you, if you just decide to be a doer instead of a, like, I'm going to talk about or thinking or this or that, or like, you know, some people want to work in strategy or some people want to do this. And some people want to think about solving problems. Again, it goes back to like, you're 10x more useful than someone who wants to talk about doing it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to take one thing away from this whole thing, I'll put it on a billboard. Uh, your life is ending at one minute at a time. So just do it. Like, that's it. Amazing. Hell yeah. Hell so yeah. succinct. And you did a great job of like bringing it back to the beginning of our conversation. Um, anyways, Lynn, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. You know, you've been on a lot of calls, but somehow you still kept the energy up. And it was honestly a pleasure <laughs> of a conversation. Uh, you gave us like literally like 12 books to read, which is amazing. <laughs> We've never got that many book recommendations ever on an episode. So definitely going to look through those and, and send you over our thoughts and, and work on our cold emails as well. Uh, but yeah, thank yep. you so much, Liam. Really appreciate it. Um, is there anything you want to close off with saying? Where can people find you? Anything like that? Um, I'm pretty responsive on LinkedIn. That's a good way to connect with me if you want to do anything professionally. Although like I do honestly kind of happen to like miss that from time to time shit does get lost in my inbox so like if you want to make sure that you get a hold of me regardless of what it is uh liam at optimize outbound is a good way to get hold of me um like even business or non-business related if it's just like advice or what do you think of this uh i'm happy to talk i i may not get back to people like super quickly but like mm -hmm. if it's a good relevant question uh, I'll get back to people. But if it's a question that you can Google the answer to, fuck off. Like, just don't email <laughs> me. Like, like, don't waste my time. <laughs> cool. All right, cool. you heard him, folks. If you want to reach Liam, you better get good at your cold emails. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to be critiquing every single cold email I got. <laughs> <laughs> don't even answer the question. Yo. Just respond with like a paragraph saying like your email was bad. <laughs> Dude, uh, I know we're about to wrap up. When, when yeah. I get cold sales emails now, sometimes I will do that to people where I'll be like, Point one, if you did this differently, whatever, you should do this yeah. next time. Point two, you should do this. And I've actually got a bunch of people who respond and be like, thanks, dude. This was so helpful. I did this for like my next five people and booked a meeting. And I'm like, dude, I know. I know. <laughs> giving out and free advice, man. You got to get them as clients. Holy. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. what you do to telemarketers then. You know, honestly, people who call call me. I'm just like, as soon as I figure out it's a cold call, I just hang up. Oh, the man. phone is not the way to reach me email the phone is dead cold calling is dead not really For but sure. that's a troll yeah. awesome okay uh i'm gonna stop the recording but yeah thank you so much for hopping on if you like the episode follow us on spotify and give us a review on apple Podcasts. our website was built by face solutions logo designed by charmeni and music by wonderly music thank you for listening Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration. <laughs>